This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Tesla and Elon Musk uh, reached an agreement with the Securities and Exchange Commission on Saturday to step down as chairman for three years, as well as paying a $20 million fine. In addition, Tesla also fined $20 million. Musk will get to stay on as CEO of the electric car company he founded. The deal came just two days after the SEC sued him for misleading investors by tweeting he had, quote, funding secured, end quote, to go private. Bloomberg News reported that Musk emailed his employees after after the SEC agreement was reached to assure them that Tesla was on the verge of being a profitable company. With more on this, we are joined by David Zaring, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School, and also joining us, John Paul McDuffie, Management Professor at Wharton and Director of the Program on Vehicle and Mobility Innovation at the Mac Institute for Innovation Management. Gentlemen, great to see you back here talking about this again. Thank you both. It's sure. a pleasure to be here. So uh, the, the $20 million fine, David, I think is somewhat explanatory. But by resigning as board chairman, what is gained by that? That's a good governance uh, sort of move that the SEC often asks for, um, and uh, what it does basically, uh, the SEC and good governments types often think that chairman and CEO should be different people. Um, and, uh, you know, some entrepreneurial visionaries like Elon Musk like to combine the, the two roles. Um, it means that the board should be somewhat more independent and more accountable, and which means that they're more likely to hold Musk accountable going forward because not only do they have these new independent directors, directors, um, uh, but they also have a chairman who's directing and setting the agenda for the board, and presumably that means it'll be more oversight over Musk rather than the amount of oversight he was getting when he could sort of control the board's agenda. John Paul? Uh, yeah, that, that sounds right. I've always heard the, you know, the guidance from any corporate governance perspective that the CEO and the chairman of the board should be separate. Um, I don't know, and, and maybe David would, whether letting him step down as chairman but stay a member of the board is also the way the SEC usually approaches that. Um, at first, I thought when they were going to um, have him force him to step down as chairman, it might mean wanting him off the board completely. Right. Uh, I guess we don't really know what changed between the settlement he turned down on Thursday and the settlement he accepted on Saturday because there was never you know, anything official published about the Thursday. Um, it seems that maybe there were some small adjustments. We know the fine got worse. We yeah. know the time of being out of the chairmanship got worse. So the SEC made it clear that they weren't pleased with, you know, got first being turned down and then uh, and then being accepted. But there may have been a few other subtle changes as well. And uh, Musk clearly talked to some people who gave him the good advice that he should settle rather than fight this. David? Yeah, the SEC often asks for not just a bar, a director and an officer bar um, uh, when they file these suits, uh, these security fraud suits. And, you know, that looked sort of like an existential crisis to Tesla to me because the idea that, yeah. um, you know, Elon Musk couldn't sort of be associated with the company that he is, you know, entirely responsible for seemed dramatic. And, uh, you know, the downside risk of fighting um, uh, a case where that's the SEC's goal and they had this, you know, relatively straightforward story they could tell about, uh, you know, market manipulation through this tweet uh, made not settling look really bad. It 
it was a really expensive tweet. I mean, I, um, I, I've heard some wags on Twitter yeah. say, uh, you know, that, that cost him $750,000 per letter. <laughs> God. Well, Jumpal, you, you have a piece that, uh, that's appearing today in the New York Times about Elon Musk and this, this entire settlement. And really, the, the guts of it is, while the, you believe that the government did have to come down on him, keeping Elon Musk as part of the company not only benefits Tesla, but it, it benefits the entire electric car movement that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I mean, if you follow some of the longer interviews with Musk over the years, uh, he keeps coming back to the idea that, sure, he wants Tesla to succeed, but he mostly wants to really change the conversation and make people think differently about electric vehicles replacing internal combustion vehicles. And I think he has succeeded in that with Tesla. I mean, I don't know how many of the other electric vehicle initiatives we see at other automakers, whether it's American or Japanese or European, and there's a lot. There's a lot of new German luxury EVs coming out every other day. A Chinese billionaire announces an intention to start a new luxury EV. Right. I don't know how much any of that happens without Musk because the consumer demand has not been there. Some of the other models sold by other companies have had lackluster sales. Yeah. And the excitement, the momentum, the sense of possibility has come entirely from Musk and Tesla. And he's won believers among investors, among customers, among employees. And I just felt that if he were to disappear somehow from the scene at this stage, so much of that would be lost to the detriment not just of Tesla and its stakeholders, but all of us. So then what do you make of the statement that, uh, as we mentioned, Bloomberg News reported that he believes that Tesla is very close to being a profitable company? Boy, it's hard hard to know what to make of statements like that because there are some very uh, skeptical readings of the financial picture for Tesla. Um, an awful lot of the profitability estimates depend on both how much Model 3 production they can get, um, whether the Model 3 demand continues to be high. Neither of those do we know for sure. And, I mean, if Tesla doesn't get better at manufacturing, they're probably one of the least efficient manufacturers in the world right now if yeah. they're losing money. Um, now, you know, they uh, are selling the Model 3 for a much higher price than they originally uh, suggested. If they're getting consumers to buy it at that price, they may just sort of settle into making it not a 35000 vehicle but maybe a $51,000 vehicle, and that would certainly help with the quest for profitability. Well, I guess then, uh, David, uh, when you're thinking about making this decision and making this call, remember, Elon Musk was, from what we heard on Thursday and Friday, dead set against having some sort of settlement with the government. It makes you wonder what the conversations were behind the doors, behind the closed doors, as to, to get him to change his mind so radically in the span of, what, about 48 hours? Yeah, the whole thing's really strange because the thing that really seemed to bother Musk about the settlement, or according to the news reports, is the fact that um, he couldn't deny that he'd committed securities fraud after settling the case because yeah. he would have been constrained by absolutely standard language from the SEC, which is that if you settle these cases, companies sign a neither admit nor deny sort of pledge, and so would Musk, and so he just would have had to sort of refer people to the settlement and left it at that. 
And some people have thought that the SEC does this way too often. And so during the Obama administration, the SEC announced that it was going to revisit neither admit nor deny settlements against big banks because Mm -hmm. sometimes they wanted the banks to say we were culpable. Um, And for some reason, the fact that Musk and Tesla wouldn't have to say we were culpable but couldn't say we weren't culpable, that really seemed to bother him. Um, And so... Uh, so that's, I think that it's fair to say that that struck, you know, securities industry professionals as a weird sort of uh, hill to die on. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why. And again, I'm, I'm talking the news reports. I don't have firsthand knowledge about this. But one of the people he talked to is Mark Cuban, who absolutely hates the SEC and, yeah. and consistently, you know, files briefs against whatever position the SEC is taking in whatever court they're taking it. Um, uh, and he's really infuriated by the way the agencies treated him. But my sense was even he wasn't really sure why this was a fight worth having. Um, <laughs> and when you saw the stock price drop of 15 percent, you well, know, it's that was going to be the other part to it <laughs> is that for, yeah. you know, for people that are are invested in Tesla, there was this incredible stock drop. Which, if you get, if memory serves me, if you get to what twenty percent, you get a halt on the on the trading on it for for a period of time. So, I mean, there was obviously a, a great concern, probably amongst the other board directors, but also the investors as well, because of the stock price. Yet, it's interesting that even with that, there are so many investors and the board that still believe that Elon Musk is what is best for this company right now, John Paul. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think settling quickly will help. I just saw in the ticker that the stock's up to 308, and it was down to 275 on Friday afternoon. So yeah. that's already, um, and there's been volatility in, in that stock right along. Um, you know, when I heard that he'd turned down the deal, I saw quotes from a few of the big investors, and I thought, this is the first thing he's done that's actually going to shake their belief in him. Right. How could you be so stupid as to turn down a pretty decent settlement with the SEC on the grounds of integrity um, was yeah. the sense you got. But I'm sure that small investors um, were really dismayed by the drop in the stock price and the general thought that he would leave. So. He could have been hearing from any number of sources to make him um, reconsider. And, uh, you know, he has his own narrative about this, which involved conversations with the Saudis and verbal agreements that they would back him in going private. And he says that's how the Saudis do business. But, you know, when you're the CEO of a massive public company with valuations higher than any other automaker, you can't be casual about the things that every chief investor and board knows about this kind of thing. So he, you yeah. know, he, maybe he feels like he doesn't need to play by the rules. Ah, he got caught. He's he's had his uh, hand slapped to the tune of all these penalties, and, and I think maybe it'll be good. I, I mentioned a moment ago, I asked you about the importance that, that Elon Musk is having towards the electric car market. What about Tesla itself? You mentioned that as well, the importance that Tesla potentially is having in the build-out of this market right now when you think about some of the other companies that are trying to get into the EV market as well. Yeah, I mean, I've thought before over a longer run, um, A, I think Elon Musk is a restless guy with a lot of big ideas, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future he would like to transition out of so much involvement with Tesla. Um, right now, Tesla has been too expensive for it to be an acquisition target, but I've wondered, well, what if a car company or a tech company wanted to buy Tesla right. and Elon Musk were, were willing? 
I think they have built up a lot of very impressive things. They've created a new automaker. That's actually really hard to do. There haven't really been any from in the latter half of the 20th century except for new countries that were entering with new companies at the low end of the market from Japan and Korea and China. Yeah. But um, and it's they've worked hard to master all the different aspects in a fairly vertically integrated way. I mean, those capabilities won't disappear. The strong products won't disappear. The brand won't disappear. So, you know, maybe there is a stage at which there's a sort of normalization of Tesla and it either ends up as a, in sort of a luxury niche or it succeeds in being mass market. I just felt that right now there's so much of a tightrope for Tesla to survive the next few years because of the debt coming due, because of the Model 3 really still not yet being viable, right. and a set of other things. And he's crucial to getting them through that. And dealing with the debt is, is obviously a huge part of what Tesla has to deal with right now, David. Uh, the, the company looks to me like it faces some serious headwinds, um, uh, but its achievements shouldn't be understated. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's sort of curious about the whole thing is that, uh, you know, Elon Musk has done this fantastic job of creating this business out of nothing. Uh, it's not clear whether he's sort of the financial engineer or the engineer engineer and, uh, you know, what the company needs going forward. But I will say that this is a, something that the SEC has to think about when they're thinking about, you know, visionary people like this. They... The, uh, the agency's job is investor protection, and, you know, uh, when they sued, uh, investors a lot of lost, lost a lot of money. Um, uh, and so, you know, I'm sort of glad that the agency in the end decided to keep Elon Musk or not pursue every last uh, uh, avenue of relief that they could have against him because, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a critical part of the company and the company's abilities going forward and people who have invested in Tesla expect him to be there. And if the SEC had sort of tried to take him away or do this sort of separation, which may end up happening at some point in the future, then right. I think, uh, you know, investors would have paid a serious price for that. And that's a that's a weird thing that you hope a government agency is going to think about. But it, go ahead, John Paul. Well, I, I saw a list in the paper the day that they charged him of other prominent figures that have had these kinds of charges. And it was Jeffrey Skillings from Enron. It was Martha Stewart for – it was, you know, Elizabeth Holmes for Theranos. I mean, it was all these people who did really terrible, fraudulent things. Yeah, and then there's Elon Musk yeah. who, you know, tweeted uh, carelessly and um, and was worried about his integrity. Uh, now, I don't want to underplay it, but I very much agree with David that I – if the SEC had seemed to go after him hard and aggressively, wouldn't back down – I would have thought that overall that was negative for investors. The short sellers were probably extremely happy on, on Friday, and they're investors too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that we want the SEC to be protecting them first and foremost. But it does make you wonder how many of them may have decided, well, you know, maybe I'll jump back on board right now since – since it took a you know a thirty point dive uh, on yeah. Friday, that would be that would be something that, that would that be some yeah, of them what would be short sellers do yeah exactly right. Yeah. I, I I don't want to be too cute, but uh, you know the stock went down so much, and then Musk turned right around and settled it. You just imagine that a savvy plaintiff securities lawyer out there is preparing a lawsuit based on the fact that he didn't settle, got the complaint, and then is settled immediately later, that's a stock drop, which sometimes drives uh, lawsuits. So, so you're expecting that, that, that <laughs> this is not over by the by the least? I 
not sure if uh, somebody's going to have the temerity uh, or to, um, but you can you could wonder that uh, um, uh, investors might be mad that Musk. Sure. Just cost Tesla investors a ton of money by sure. dilly dallying for three days uh, at a at a huge cost to you know investors who sold in that interim period. So, uh, we'll I mean, I, I I hear that there may be some challenges about some of his announcements of Model Three production targets in the past, which were vastly wrong. So you know, in late 2017, they started production in July. He said we'll have made you know. 20,000 by the end of the year, and they had made 2,600. Um, that's an order of magnitude difference, which people mm-hmm. have more or less forgiven him, but I guess uh, maybe it will be emboldened by some of these other legal actions. <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody might say, well, that's materially misleading uh, investors too. I don't know. He is a true optimist when it comes to talking about <laughs> yeah, what right. is going to happen. And that that's, is true. Uh, that must make you, it really adventurous to be his securities lawyer. You but, know? But, but I was going to say, but for the most part, you, you know, when you're in, I think, when you're in an industry like this and you're building something up almost from nothing, and, it's, and it goes back to the, to the auto industry part of this, of building and producing an automaker, you have to be, to a degree, I think, this confident – 100% of the time, because oh, yeah. if you show the slightest bit uh, of issue, then that's going to have a, a significant negative impact on the company. Yeah, I mean, during the years since Tesla started, you know, the electric vehicle industry has been declared, you know, uh, surging and about to have a tipping point and then dead at least two or three times. <laughs> and so, yes, if your confidence ever wavered, you certainly would have wavered when it was declared dead. And a lot of other firms have, the big firms have in terms of their commitment, and many of the other startups have gone bankrupt amid the the shoals of that turbulence. David? Tesla never, Musk has complained bitterly uh, about the fact that Tesla is a public company. Um, But, you know, one of the reasons it's public, and he didn't want to take it public, but he sort of had to take it public because that was... Uh, he and his backers thought the only way to sort of amass the amount of capital he needed to build a car company from nothing. You know, they're really resource intensive and you need a lot of money to create um, the, you know, institutions and factories and research and supply chains you need to to build something like yeah. that. So so we went public, but he's he's found it to be truly inconsistent with that visionary sort of sure. confidence that you've talked about and it's funny how there's a bunch of other tech companies which aren't so resource intensive that are staying private and accessing capital that way and that gives their uh, that gives their leadership um, more power to or more leeway when they want to you know talk confidently about the future and sort of explore and express their vision in a sort of really positive way he he's he does the exact same thing, but he's much more limited or he's finding that um, because he's a public company owner um, or uh, CEO that he's much more constrained in what he can say. Here, Here is my $64,000 question for you, or in this case, I guess yeah, we'd be more appropriately $20 million yeah. because of the fine. <laughs> What's Tesla without Elon Musk? Well, you know, as I said, all the things they've built – build an automaker, build a brand, some very good products, um, those things won't go away. And and in a way, it's part of what is um, impressive about the path he took. You know, I I, I mentioned in the op-ed that 
we're used to Silicon Valley companies that want to be disruptors thinking, okay, what can I do that's most important? I'm going to outsource the rest. So right. you have designed by Apple in California, and then we know it's contract manufacturing by Foxconn in, in China. Um, there are a few other startups that tried that model for cars, um, didn't work. I think by doing this you know, vertically integrated approach, learn how to do all the stuff, all the hard stuff, all the prosaic stuff, that's how they've built something that will last. Mm -hmm. But I worry that the excitement goes out of the market, um, the ability to get people to pre-commit to buy, the need to do you know, zero marketing, all the things that the excitement of Musk brings would be gone. Uh, I mean, I read, I guess this is the way that, that some invest, big investors talk about it. They think that there's $130 of the Tesla stock price that's a Elon Musk premium. So that sort of is a way to quantify the idea of what happens if you take him out. Boom, yeah. there goes the premium. It's between a half and a third right now, cut right right yeah. off the books. Yeah. What do you think, David? Uh, one of the ways he communicates with investors and markets the company uh, is that he he does it over Twitter. And now yeah. all his tweets, he's uh, consented to having all his tweets reviewed by somebody before he uh, goes out there. And so he's been having some strange Twitter fights and, uh, you know, he sounds increasingly weird online. Yeah. So maybe that makes sense. But you do wonder if it's uh, going to sort of limit him that now he's not going to have the ability to express himself in the way that he has thought, you know, is the best thing for the company um, because uh, because of this whole episode and his commitments going forward to, you know, reviewed tweets and that kind of thing. 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School and also the Mac Institute joining us here in studio along with David Zaring of the Wharton School. I guess uh, part of it is because of the fact that there are other pieces to the, the kind of Elon Musk empire. There are other companies that are obviously he can put his focus on, whether it be SpaceX, the Hyperloop. You know, you could keep going now for, right. for a long period of time. Right. Even if he wasn't with Tesla in the day-to-day -day operations, the companies to a degree, are, and the battery uh, factory as well, yep. the, the companies are to a to a degree intertwined that he would, I think, to a degree have an impact on Tesla one way or the other. He'd probably count as a control person, which is SEC speak for a you know a, a block holder with a ton of shares. I mean, he's a, yeah. he's an owner as well as a manager. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he has also leaned heavily towards ideas of strategic integration with yep. bringing solar city inside and making solar panels and the home battery storage sort of a piece of what the gigafactory does uh so in that sense you know the the sort of the the, the cluster of things he's doing do kind of hold together yeah i mean i think and he also will always be able to attract uh, public attention simply with you know his his eye for the thing that grabs the news um, I think t perhaps possibly tweeting or not you know last week he had a press conference about SpaceX making a, a agreement with a Japanese millionaire or billionaire to fly into space on some date in the future and the guy was there and they interviewed him about it and so suddenly that's a story in the news so yeah. you know Musk will not uh, lose his ability to capture the news by this settlement uh, unless it has some dampening effect on his overall optimism yeah. and spirit. But the importance, at least for Tesla right now, is the Model 3. Get, getting yeah. that out and running and, and, and a productive piece for their company, that has to be number one. Yep, I agree.
And, you know, this financing stuff is, is related to that because right. the uh, ability to raise new financing uh, depends on the plausibility, but also the faster he's getting margins off the Model 3, the less the financial problems are. Great having you both with us. Thanks. Thanks, John Paul. Pleasure. David, great seeing you again. Thanks. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.